Well, before we start into this morning's lesson, I've got a couple of cool things I'd like to invite you to participate in. This is a slip of paper. Is that not cool? There's this tradition. In Israel, in Jerusalem, there's a wall. It's called the Wailing Wall. It's a portion of the retaining wall that supported the temple back in the days of Jesus. Jewish people from all over the world will write prayer requests, roll them up, stick them in the wall. It's a cool symbolic thing to do. We're going to give you a slip of paper if you want one. We will bring it to Israel with us and we will stick it in the wall on your behalf. Isn't that not cool? So after church, in the lobby, Debbie will be there, or somebody with a little table with these slips of paper. Feel free to pick these up, put out in a little prayer request, stick it in the wall. Um, put a little witness on there, put a verse, because I'm told some of those prayer requests get taken out to make room for new ones, and the rabbis sometimes read them. A little Isaiah 53, a little John 3:16. you never know. The other thing you can participate in, and I'm thankful that Debbie thought of this, um, we're not just going to Israel and seeing all the cool sites, which we are. We're also going to be meeting people and connecting with people. And um, Debbie got us in touch with 11 poor Jewish families, and we are going to bring gifts to their children. Not gifts like RC cars and phones, gifts like clothes, a new skirt. So back in the lobby are little sheets of paper that'll tell you, Myra is a seven-year-old girl who needs a skirt, this is her size, and this is the length. You'll take that slip of paper, you'll go to Ross or Penny's, wherever you shop, you'll bring the skirt back to us, we will put it in our luggage, and then when we get to Israel, on behalf of Book of Life and Bessar Shalom, in the name of the Lord, we will be giving these gifts to the 11 poor families. So if you'd like to participate in that, that is also available to you in the lobby this morning. Debbie, thank you. Great idea. She's uh, in charge of our missions team. Now you know why. This was her idea. <laughs> All right. We have this saying at Book of Life. You'll see it on our website. You'll see it on our ministry application. Sometimes it's on walls around here. It's one of the oldest known Christian sayings. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. And charity means love. Grace. In the essentials, unity. I want to talk to you today about unity because it's extremely important. Listen to what Jesus said about it. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The context is this is Jesus' closing prayer. He's about ready to go to the cross, and he has this lengthy prayer. And one of the things in this prayer, one of his dying requests to his Father, is for unity in the body of Christ. Now please understand, this is probably the only place in the Bible where Jesus prays for you. I don't mean prays for the world in general, which he does all the time. He prayed for his disciples all the time. But he was looking forward into the future. Look what he said. My prayer is not for them alone, those who he was with. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying to his Father that we, at Book of Life Community Church, will be united. The Son of God's, one of his dying, last dying wishes, prayers, was for unity in the body of Christ. 
That is extremely profound and extremely important. Look at what else the Bible says about unity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Try real, real hard. To do what? To keep unity. We have to try harder. It's not going to happen. But if we try hard, it will happen. It can happen. It must happen. Make every effort for it to happen. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. There is one body. We are called the body of Christ. Imagine if our human bodies acted like the body of Christ sometimes acts. Right? A body doesn't attack itself. That's an immune deficiency and we die. Body takes care of itself. There's an old Greek story about, um, might have been an Aesop or something, I don't know, but it's old. And the body was having a, a conversation with itself one day and it got really upset with the stomach. Because the stomach is lazy. All it does is sit around and eat all day. And that's not fair. I mean, the hands got to work. They got to sew. They got to shave things and break things and make things. And the feet, everywhere you go, the feet are always working. And the eyes never stop. And the brain never stops. Well, what's the stomach do? Just sits around all day and eats lazy. So they decided to teach it a lesson and not give it any food. Hands weren't going to put it in. The mouth decided not to chew it. They were in all agreement. They're going to teach that stomach, that lazy stomach, a lesson. You know what happened. They died. <laughs> There's one body. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. We are one. And we've got to stop acting like we're not. When, uh, when I was in the, sh the sheriff's academy training to be a cop, and I hear they do the same in boot camp, they try to make you lose your self-identity and take on a group identity. So they did all these things to make that happen. For example, one day we had to climb this hill. And it wasn't a really tall hill, but it was a really slippery hill. So you get halfway up and you slide back down. You get halfway up and you slide back down. Now, they also instilled in us a sense of competition. So guys were racing to see who would get to the top. And when somebody got to the, two, three, four guys got to the top, our instructor started yelling at everybody. What good are you up there when everybody else is down here? Help your buddies out. Shame on you kind of a thing, you know. And now we had a hard enough time getting up ourselves. How do you get somebody else up? Because while you're slipping, they're sliding. So they got out their batons and they made a chain. That's what they wanted. They wanted unity. Here it is, over 20, 30 years later, I still remember that event. They were trying to instill in us the idea of teamwork. One of the guys in the academy was a, an amazing runner. I mean, they said, hey, man, you need to go to the police Olympics. He was just amazing. He was a sprinter. He was a long distance. You couldn't catch this guy. And then we had a really, really big guy I didn't even think would make it. You know, because you got to run miles, and this guy was huge. And he'd be lagging at the bottom, way behind. The guy up front was all like this. 
One day we had to go up this huge hill. Now this is another hill. This is a paved street where we all have, you know, running up hills is so hard. So the guy who was the best runner got behind the guy who was the worst runner and pushed him up the hill. That's the stuff they try to instill. I don't know how to do it at Book of Life, but we got to come up with a couple runs. We got to get out our batons and make a chain. We got to push each other up the hill. What I see happening is people kicking each other down the hill in the body of Christ in general. There's none of that going on right now. I'm not saying, oh, there's this thing going on. I'm just giving you these concepts that we bicker, we fight, we do silly things. We do just the opposite oftentimes of what we should. The Apostle Paul, listen to what he said. I appeal to you. I beg you. The great Apostle Paul. He should be ordering people around and we should be jumping. What do you want? We'll do it. I humbly beseech you, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so there's no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Before Jesus left the planet, he prayed that we would be one. When he raised up the great apostle Paul, he begged the church to be one. There's actually a Jewish holiday in the Torah that features the concept of unity. So out of the seven major Jewish festivals, one of them, it's, one of its main points is to build unity in the body. Let me read to you a couple of verses about it. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or booths for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. That's the festival that's going on right now. That's why if you go behind our bistro over there, you will see our tabernacle. It's called a sukkah in Hebrew. Be joyful at your feast. Last Wednesday night, we brought Book of Life and Bethsar together. We had hot dogs and hamburgers and potato salad and sodas, and we sat under the tabernacle, and then part of the group watched a movie, and part came in for a lesson. It was a good night. It was good times. Be joyful at your feast. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. This is a feast of fellowship. I want you to have a festival. It has to last a week. This goes on every year. And you must bring to this festival your servants, the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, your ministers, the Levites, your servants. This is a fellowship festival for a whole week. It's like a huge block party. Imagine if we did this in Tucson. Every block just put up barricades, no cars allowed. Everybody wheeled out their barbecues. Everybody took out their, their planes and their toys and their cars and their kites. And for a week, they just hung out and ate together. How cool would that be? I can imagine what that would do for Tucson. God knows what he's doing. He wanted people to fellowship because fellowship builds unity. It's real hard to get annoyed and angry with your neighbor when you know them and you're sitting down and having barbecue with them. Especially if it's Mike's barbecue. You can't be mad and eat that barbecue. That's some good stuff. So Sukkot, Tabernacles, Booths, is the festival of unity. In 
the book of Zechariah, there's a prophecy about Sukkot that says it's the one Jewish holiday that brings Jews and Gentiles together. Listen to what it says. So before I give you the verse, um, imagine the, the scene. You get the tribulation period, the battle of Armageddon, the world at its worst. Then Jesus comes and he puts a stop to it and makes everything good on earth again. Then we've got this verse. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Every year, after this huge battle, God's got the whole world coming together to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. For the high holiday Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there was one sacrifice made for the entire nation. Passover, there was one sacrifice made for every family and their immediate neighbors if the, their family was too small for one sacrifice. The festival of Sukkot had 70 sacrifices made. And the rabbis started talking, one for Yom Kippur, 70 for Sukkot. Why so many for Sukkot? What's so special about Sukkot? But that number 70 didn't get by them because that was the number of all the nations of the world at that time. So they put two and two together. They said, ah, is it perhaps that the Almighty is having us make sacrifice on behalf of all nations of the world? So Yom Kippur, in a sense, is the Day of Atonement, the Day of Sacrifice for Jews. Sukkot is Jews ministering to the rest of the world by sacrificing for them. That was the rabbinic thought for this feast of fellowship in unity. Cool thought. If you think about it, other than the Bible saying, be united, ha ha, because I say so. Doesn't it make sense? I mean, do you agree with me that unity feels better than discord? If you think that's so, let me see your hands. All right. Of course. I mean, when you're in discord with somebody, you don't even want to go to the same grocery store they shop at because you're afraid you might see them. Am I right? That's not fun. Avoiding certain neighborhoods because you don't want to see these people. You can't sleep at night because you're all upset and uncomfortable. Life just becomes yucky with discord. We don't like it. Unity feels better. You just, ah. And walk through the day with a smile on your face. You know, peace is a good thing. Take out one of those letters and good, peace is a God thing. And it is. I believe peace is from God and I believe discourse is from the devil. And we get to choose through our hard work which we want to pursue. Not only is peace or unity a God thing and a good thing, not only does it feel better, but it's more productive. Think of the unity in the animal kingdom. How many of you have ever heard of the fish called the goby? I'm not talking about the desert. I'm talking about the fish. There's a fish called, uh, several fish called goby. But there's a fish called goby. I got a video of him up here for you. He lives in that little hole. But he didn't make that little hole. A shrimp made that little hole. Shrimp can dig holes, gobies can't. But shrimp have really bad eyesight. So if they come out of their hole, a fish can come by and just eat them. They won't know because they can't see. But a goby has really good eyesight. So the shrimp and the goby live together. 
The shrimp builds the hole, cleans the hole, and protects the eggs that the goby lays in the hole. The shrimp has a little antenna that he keeps up against the goby at all times. I saw some high-res zoom-in pictures. It's just a little antenna constantly on the goby, always touching the goby. Now, if the goby darts into the hole, the shrimp can't see a thing, but he goes, uh-oh, and he goes into the hole after the goby. So the goby keeps the shrimp alive, and the shrimp is the housekeeper and the protector for the goby. That's unity. That's teamwork. You realize fish usually eat shrimp. And why don't the shrimp eat the goby eggs? They would be kind of tasty, you'd think, to a shrimp. It reminds me of ants. Did you know there are ants that farm aphids? Aphids are those itty-bitty bugs that eat your plants that you hate because you've got a garden and the aphids eat it all. But ants love aphids because aphids excrete this fluid that is edible to the ants. Now, ladybugs eat aphids, so ants and ladybugs don't get along. So what will happen is the ants will hang out around the aphids. And if a ladybug comes, the ants go after the ladybug and drive it off. And they take care of the aphids. They don't eat the aphids. They just eat the stuff the aphids excrete. I'm telling you, unity, even with bugs, is better than discord. Oh, let's eat some aphids. Look at all these aphids. Eat them up. Gone. Let's work with the aphids. We'll protect the aphids. The aphids will feed us. Deal. It's funny, uh, me and the kids were talking on our way over here about smart and stupid animals. And even though the conversation didn't say these words, it ended up, you know, none of them are really stupid. In ways they are, but God made them to do amazing things. How is it that wasps know how to get mud out of the ground and build a nest? Who taught them how to do that? And how about the other paper net? They make their own paper. How do they do that? Who taught them to do that? Ant colonies. There are ants and there are termites that actually bring plant material into their colonies and, and uh, grow it like a garden and harvest it. Termite mounds in Africa are air conditioned. These things are brilliant. But when they work together as a team, you know, an ant is a threat to nobody or nothing but nobody wants to go near a whole colony of them. They will clear out anything and everything. They are vicious together. They are strong together. They are productive together. Alone, they're just this. So Satan would love us to be alone because then he can get us. But together, we put them on the run. We're better off united than divided. Israel, right before the days of Jesus, by roughly 50 years, let's say, there were these two huge factions. Basically, it was civil war in Israel. And everybody heard about Rome. So each side went to Rome and said, hey, would you come help us out? And Rome said, sure. So Rome moved in and took over, and you know how that all turned out. Pontius Pilate, the whole nine yards, the crucifixions. We were doing great before the discord. One of our greatest eras of peace was right before that. We actually had a queen 
who gave Israel one of her greatest eras of peace. But when she died, her sons fought over leadership and people had factions. And then we had one of our greatest eras of conflict and chaos. In unity, there's strength. In discord, it's no good. Jesus even gave a lesson and said that even hell is more powerful united than it is divided. Listen to what he said. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, Israel. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself, how then can his kingdom stand? So they were accusing Jesus, these bad guys, of casting out devils by the power of the devil. And Jesus said, that doesn't make any sense. If Satan was driving out Satan, his kingdom would fall apart. But obviously it hasn't fallen apart, it's doing quite well. Now let's get embarrassed for a minute together. Did Jesus just say that the demons of hell are united? And oftentimes we're not. Ow. The demons of the worst beings that we can imagine and our worst nightmares know how to work together. And while I was looking up videos to illustrate unity and discord and strength and division, I saw videos about church fights. Cops being called in because this faction wanted to fire, fired the pastor. This faction thought they did wrong and they're fighting in the church. The cops had to come. Another video of somebody decking a pastor. Oh, I bet you Satan was laughing, having a good time. And it was so sad because there was this one woman, you could hear her like she was standing by the camera. You couldn't see her. But she was like, what are you people doing? This is the house of God. We're supposed to be believers. What are you? I don't believe it. This poor, poor soul. Maybe the only saint in the building. Her heart was broken seeing the discord. You know, a church divided against itself cannot stand. But a church united, nothing can stand against it. Jesus said even the gates of Hades cannot prevail. But when we play the devil's game, we will fall. So God had some things to say, not only in the Bible about unity, but also about how seriously he takes discord. Listen to what it says in Proverbs. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. There are versions that say that God doesn't hate these things, but he hates these people who do these things. Listen to it. These six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. God hates arrogance. God hates a lying tongue. We know that. That's in the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. God hates murder. God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. God hates feet that are swift in running to evil. And God hates a false witness who speaks lies. And God hates the one who sows discord amongst his brethren. So we start off with God hates a proud look. Not very personal. But we end up with God hates the person who sows discord amongst the brethren. Quite personal. There's not a lot of places in the Bible where God says he hates somebody, but this is one of them. And who does he hate? The person who sows discord amongst the brethren. Wow. 
So, unity is better. We all like it better. Discord is bad. It's of the devil. And God hates people who do it. So I wanted to send you home with four pointers on avoiding discord. There's four. I could have given you 12, but you would have forgotten 12. Four is enough. Actually, just the one is enough. Number one would probably get us there, definitely with number two. Three and four are almost like icing on the cake. So just pick one. Make it yours. Own it. Love it. Live it. And our church will be awesome. And it will never fall. Number one, don't judge. Don't judge. It's how the Bible puts it. Listen to how Romans 14 puts it. By the way, Romans 14, I've said time and again, is the chapter in the Bible on how to get along with one another. It is the chapter. Let me read to you from some of the chapter. Don't judge is a negative. Accept people is the positive. So you can look at it either way, either way your heart prefers. Accept him who is weak in the faith without passing judgment on disputable matters. One's man, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. This has nothing to do with what we eat. This is an example. It's an illustration. You got an argument, a silly argument. If you were really godly, you would only be a vegetarian because meat corrupts the body. It's not good for you. Animals are living beings. You shouldn't kill them. And on and on the list goes. Truly godly people will only eat vegetables. Didn't Daniel only eat vegetables when he prayed to God and God made him strong? That's their argument. What an idiot. <laughs> Meat's good. Didn't God say we could eat meat? Weren't there sacrifices in the Old Testament? Didn't they eat that meat? This idiot doesn't know what he's talking about. He just doesn't know the Bible as well as he thinks he does. He's all judgmental. <laughs> Who's right? They're both wrong. Because they're judging and despising each other. It's not about what we eat. It's about how we love. They're both wrong. Now, me and my family, we appreciate the invitation to dinner, but we really can't come. Uh, we're very picky eaters, and we wouldn't want to put that on you. All we eat is fruits and vegetables, and they're organic at that. So thanks for the invitation, but nah, we, we, we wouldn't want to put that on you. Wow, that's interesting. You know, we've always wanted to improve our diet. How about this? You show us how to make a wholesome, natural dinner. We'll provide the stuff. You show us how to prepare it. Teach us how to eat healthy. That's how to do it. Now, when they go, you have some steak. But when they're at your house, see, nobody put, they didn't judge them for being meat eaters. They didn't judge them for being veggie eaters. Now they're both right. That's what Romans 14 is about. Yes, Steve, but who's right theologically? You're going to the wrong place, if that's your question right now. It's not about right. It's about love. That's what's right. Love. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So what Paul is saying in Romans 14, through the Holy Spirit, is these people have one judge, and that's God. If we judge each other, we're basically saying, God, mind your own business. You're wrong. Got it covered. That's what we're doing. So now we've become all arrogant, and we've actually replaced God's saying, hey, you're wrong. I got this one covered. And God will make him stand. We don't try to make him stand. We try to tear him down. We try to put a stumbling block in front of him. God's not about that. He's about helping people out. My mom used to say, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. As a pastor, I eventually want to help these people out if they're open to my instruction. If they're not, God bless them. Let them be vegetarians for the rest of their lives. I don't care. God bless them. It's good. They'll probably outlive me anyway. You know? I would like to let them know about what the Bible says, that, you know, killing an animal to eat is not a sin. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's acceptable in a fallen world. The day will come when it's no longer acceptable, but that day hasn't come yet. I might get to teach them that someday. But not like that. One man considers one day more sacred than another, and another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Some people like sunrise services on Easter. To them, that's one of the most sacred times of the year. I don't like sunrise anything. <laughs> I like my bed too much. Does that make me an unspiritual person? Not in my eyes. If it does in their eyes, that's pretty sad. But I don't like sunrise services. God bless them that they do. May they enjoy it. They consider it sacred. God bless them. I don't consider an early hour any more sacred than a later hour. God bless me. One man considers one day sacred, another, whatever. When I was in Bible college, these kids came up to me, and God bless their zeal. We're going to fast and pray all night in the chapel. You in? No. <laughs> How can you be a guy in ministry training? You're actually in ministry, and you don't want to do this. Yeah, I got a job. You don't. I got to work tomorrow. You don't. You're going to sleep in tomorrow. Pray for me. I'm going to sleep. Anything wrong with fasting and praying night, all night? No, it's a great godly thing. But you certainly don't want to condemn somebody who's not going to do it on your schedule. <laughs> you know? And that's what this is talking about. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? Well, that's a good question. Why do we do that? Why do we judge our brothers? Why? Does it make us feel better? I don't usually feel better when I judge somebody. I feel worse. I feel dirty. So why do I do it? I don't know. I guess I'm stupid. We were talking about those dumb animals. Animals don't judge each other. Well, they might fly in circles for an hour, but they don't hurt anybody. Maybe I'm the dumb one. I know enough not to stand in the rain and drown, but I don't know enough to not judge people. All a matter of perspective, isn't it? 
You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? I don't know. I think I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. And I can say that without embarrassment because I know there's something wrong with you too. We all do it. It's part of the human condition. That's why Jesus had to come for us. He had to fix us because we were broken. Why do you look down on your brother? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Let him do the looking. And it's good that he does. He's not only the only perfect one, he's also the most gracious one. We look down without grace. The very act of looking down is graceless. But God always looks with grace. Therefore, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. We were doing just the opposite with our judging. We were putting obstacles in their way. The obstacle, by the way, would be inviting your vegetarians over and serving them steak. That would be the obstacle. The idea is, if you've got a certain perspective, don't try to force it on somebody else. Don't try to trip them up. Just make the way smooth for them to the best ability. Give up your freedom to benefit another person. That's what love's all about. Number way, the number one way to avoid discord, don't judge. I told you I had four. Here's number two. Be quick to forgive. Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. How do we get unity? Through forgiveness and love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Notice it puts the forgiveness with the unity, with the peace. And it also puts in there, and be thankful, which I found initially a little odd. That seems like a tag on. But I think an attitude of gratitude, thankfulness, gives us a whole new perspective on everything. And it makes it a lot easier to live in unity, as opposed to the grumbly attitude, when we're always complaining and griping about things which causes discord. Number one, don't judge or be accepting. Number two, be quick to forgive. Number three, and this could have been number one too, also. I, it's a toss-up. That's why I get, I'm giving you four. All four are important. This is a big one. Avoid gossip. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. I've talked to you in the past about parallelism. You see it here. A, a perverse man is in parallelism with a gossip. And a person who stirs up dissension is in parallelism with somebody who separates close friends. What kind of dissension they do, do they stir up? Separating close friends. What is a gossip? A perverse man. Perverse, not in the way we use the word today, like a pervert. Perverse in the sense of messed up, wrong, broken, wicked, evil. It could, say, it could have said a wicked man stirs up dissension. But perverse gives the concept of doing things backwards and being twisted. It's a bad word. 
and it's used very strongly in there. Proverbs 26.20 says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. You realize, oftentimes, arguments, fights, disagreements would end rather quickly if people would just shut up and stop talking about them. Just keep it going. You probably saw this in the schoolyard. One boy shoves another boy, another shoves another boy. They're going to fight, but they're really not going to do it. So somebody in the audience says, you're going to let him get away with calling your mama that? I wouldn't let him get away with calling mama. You hear what he called his mama? Oh, man, if he said that to me, I wouldn't take that, man. I'd be all over his stuff. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. But the mouth, it's like spewing out gasoline on top of the fire. I always tell people, it's one of my favorite sayings about gossip. If you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, it's none of your business. Stay out of it. Being part of the problem means you're directly involved in that situation. Being part of the solution means you're directly involved in that solution, that situation, and you want to do something to fix it. But I'm telling you, if you're not part of the solution, you're definitely part of the problem. So two people. And then this one goes and talks to this one, and this one goes and talks to this one. Now there's four people. These two go and talk to someone. Now there's six people. I've heard some funny stories, if they weren't so tragic, about gossip. It was funny. One pastor got up in the pulpit and said, contrary to popular opinion, I am not running off with the secretary, and the church finances are fine. <laughs> but something happened that everybody thought that was going on, and he was just like, where did that come from? That's a funny story, but day after day, ask any pastor you know. Ask any parishioner you know. Let's do this. How many of you have ever been involved with church gossip and have felt the pain? I'm not saying you've done it, though you might have, but you've just felt the pain of it. You've witnessed it and you hated it. Let me see your hands. Look around. Almost everybody's hand is up. It spreads like wildfire. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. If there's a problem, leave it alone. Number four, avoid foolish arguments. 2 Timothy 2.23, do not have anything to do with foolish arguments and stupid discussions. <laughs> I love that version. <laughs> because you know they breed arguments. And so I've got to ask myself, what constitutes a stupid argument as opposed to a good argument? That's not so easy to determine. But then again, it really is. Look at what the possible outcome of the argument is. That's one way to determine a stupid one from a positive one. Let me talk to you about a holy topic that can become a stupid argument. Back over to Veggie King. I believe Jesus is going to come before the Great Tribulation. He's not going to allow his church to go through the time of God's judgment. Man, haven't you read Matthew? Don't you see all the misery the saints are going to be going through? It says this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and then Jesus will come back. You're wrong. Haven't you read the book by so-and-so and such-and-such and such-and-such and this argument and that argument and this argument? Your mama. 
<laughs> and then it starts to escalate. And now they're fighting over when Jesus is coming back. Now listen, it's a discussion worth having. Read books, have classes, have a great discussion on it. But why does it upset you if somebody disagrees with you? Really, why does it upset you? Let them disagree with you. Doesn't matter. Oh, of course it matters because the Bible says... Duh, 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 duh. Take a pill. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. We both agree on that? Yes. Now, let's just say for a minute that this guy is wrong. He's coming back after the tribulation. So the day comes, he misses it. Now he's really upset. Seven years pass, and Jesus comes back. And Jesus says, you were right, you stay there. You can't come into heaven because you were wrong about when I was coming. Right? Or how about this guy over here? Jesus comes back before the tribulation. He gets brought up to heaven like that. And he goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You were wrong. I got seven more years to wait. Put me back. In other words, when he comes, he's come. Let him take care of his business. This guy will go when Jesus calls him, and this guy will go when Jesus calls him. Whether they're right or wrong really doesn't matter. They're not going to affect Jesus' plan. So why are they fighting? It's kind of like arguing over who's most humble. It's okay to be passionate about something. But to have discord in the body over it, it's not okay. I've got a, an opinion on almost anything. I happen to be human, I happen to be male, I happen to be Jewish, and I happen to be a pastor. If I don't know something about it, I'm going to look it up and then have an opinion on it. You can have a different opinion, it's okay. You're entitled to be wrong. <laughs> Just cut me the same grace. Because I know I'm, you know, if I knew what I was wrong about, I'd change my opinion and I wouldn't be wrong anymore. The fact that I hold to it means I don't think I'm wrong. But I could be wrong and not know I'm wrong, but you telling me I'm wrong is not going to make me think I'm wrong. It's just going to get me mad at you for telling me I'm wrong. Did that make sense? Thank you. <laughs> All right, so avoid foolish arguments. Listen, this is not today's sermon, so I'm not going to go there. There are some things that we need to argue about, and there are some things we need to divide about. But we don't really need that sermon. We need this one, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. So let me give it all summed up and wrapped up in a bow. Here's what we covered this morning. The Bible said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you are one of those type of people who likes to highlight or underline in your Bible, underline, make every effort. Second thing we learned is there's actually a Jewish holiday, and it's going on right now, that emphasizes unity promotes unity, and it's called Sukkot, or the Festival of Tabernacles. Third, we've seen that unity is productive, like the shrimp and the gobi, like the ants and the aphids. There are also fish. Check this out. Most fish are predators. They eat smaller fish. That's what they do. There are predatory fish that don't eat certain fish. They allow those fish to clean out their mouths. The fish swim in, eat all the junk out of their teeth, the fish swim out, and the big fish just leave them alone. They're like dentist fish. <laughs> and the other fish leave them alone. How do they know which fish to eat and which fish not to eat? I don't know. But it's a beautiful relationship. We've also seen that God hates those who sow discord. 
Unity is a good thing. Take out the O, it's a God thing. Discord is from the other guy. We know his games now. Watch out. And we saw four pointers for avoiding discord. Don't judge, avoid gossip, be quick to forgive, and avoid foolish arguments. Basically, if there's no benefit in the argument, don't have it. And frankly, even if there is benefit to it, why get all emotional about it? Just state your case. They either accept it or they don't. But you getting angry, getting your dander up, that doesn't win anybody. All that does is isolate. All right, one more cool video to seal the deal. Let's take a look. Mugger crocodiles, four meters long, could easily take a single otter. Confident in their gangs, the otters will actively harass these great reptiles. Team play wins the day. Okay, that's good. Did you hear that team play wins the day? That was cool. Did that fuzzy little otter get together with another fuzzy cute little otter and get together with another, another fuzzy cute little otter and actually chase off that vicious crocodile? Together, people, we cannot be stopped. What would have happened if the otters just said, hey, you guys are on your own. There'd been dead otters. And that crocodile would eat all the time, anytime he wanted to. We gotta be otters, people. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I've humbly learned the lessons today from your animal kingdom. Thank you so much for instilling in us, in our planet, lessons from shrimp and ants and otters. And Lord God, again, it. It really troubled my soul to think that demons can unite to destroy us. And at times they are more successful in their unity than we are. That's just pathetic. And so it's my prayer, Lord, that that would never be the case again at Book of Life Community Church. That we would make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lord God, our spirits are willing, our flesh is weak. Please overcome our flesh in us through your Holy Spirit. Help us to be the kind of people that you want us to be. For it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.